You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Well, good morning. I am so pumped that you all are here, especially the women who are probably exhausted from a long day, but welcome. My name's Phil Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here. Wow. Are you guys enjoying what God is doing here at this church, in this community. I know it's not about us, per se, but it's about the local body. It's about the local body. And if you're visiting here today, we just want you to feel welcomed. We want you to feel loved. Know that we're not trying to compete with other churches to get you, like, we want to swap sheep kind of thing. That's not our heart at all. We've got some incredible churches in our community and surrounding communities, and this may not be the fit for you to get involved and get connected. And guess what? That's okay. It's because there's another church probably that has been designed in a way to fit you as well. Now, we love to have you. Don't get me wrong. But we just want to let you know that we are a kingdom-minded church. It was really awesome. I wasn't planning to say this, but Daniel and I had the privilege of getting together with several of the pastors in this community this past week to pray we, we met at Gold Star. Some of you kind of came through and saw us there, and you're like, pastors are getting together? I mean, and we laughed, and we had a good time, and this summer, we are planning to reach our community for Christ together. Fourth of July, we're planning to come together and provide the pre-fireworks party All the churches that are going to be involved are going to come together and be the church. I'm so excited what God's doing. This is the kingdom, and we've been in since January 1st. We have been in the theme of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And last week, can we hear it for Pastor Daniel? Last week, he brought the word. Amen. Yeah, he brought the word of God, and it was so awesome. And we're in, (laughs) my piece of gum just keeps flying. Uh, If you saw it, check out live stream. (laughs) Slow motion. (sighs) True story, it was starting to go down my throat, and I'm like, so I got to spit it out. So I I apologize. Thank you for coming to my living room. Now let's have church. What was I saying? (laughs) Daniel was talking about James 1. We've launched James 1 last week. We're talking about the kingdom of God, and if you weren't here, please download for the benefit of your faith, the benefit of those around you, Download and listen to it, either on YouTube or our, our phone app that is going away, <laughs> and, uh, or our website. And so really, just to kind of recap it, if you want to take quick notes or jot it down, there's four things that Daniel really covered in the book of James chapter one. Number one is shifting our perspective. How many of you already know in 2020 that in order to see the things of God, to hear the voice of God, to represent God, and to grow in the kingdom of God, you need to shift your perspective? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know why? It's because the kingdom of God is completely polar opposites of the kingdom of this world. That's why it's very difficult and sometimes confusing to understand the kingdom of God because it does not operate and function like the world. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, do not conform, do not become, do not follow the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the perspective shift of your minds by the kingdom of God. That's really important. We need to shift our perspective. And when we shift our perspective, we can understand what Paul, uh, excuse me, I said, uh, well, no, Paul was Romans. James is James, the brother James. By the way, I love uh, Daniel's message about uh, the brother James. Yeah, how many brothers? How many of you who have siblings would ever call your sibling the son of God? Yeah, James did that. It wasn't as funny as when Daniel did it, so check out the live stream. But anyways, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get into James 2 here. So uh, James says, count it all joy when you face trials and tribulations. Now, that does not work in our world's perspective. That doesn't make sense, but when we shift our perspective and we understand that these valleys that we go through are actually to strengthen us and make us more like Christ, time out. Take a look right now in your life. Take a look at the darkest, biggest struggle, most difficult thing that you have gone through and check and see, isn't that when God did the most 
surgery in your heart and the growth in your life. That's why James is saying when we shift our perspective on the kingdom of God and we shift our perspective on how we hear the voice of God and when we shift our perspective in how we represent the kingdom of God and how we shift our perspective in our priorities, in our growth, we will look at the valleys and the darkest times in our lives so much differently. We will look at it in joy. And what I mean by joy, I don't mean a state of happiness. I don't mean this like blissful Christian ooey gooey goosebumps. What I mean is it's an identity. It's a state of being, of joy, meaning I can fully trust God's faithful promises no matter what storm I'm facing because I know he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And he who is faithful is my ever-present help in time of trouble. Am I teaching to anybody? Am I relating to anybody who have been through the valleys? We got church over here. Over here, we got to wake up a little bit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm joking with you, by the way, a little bit. Um, so our perspective, then our joy in the valleys because it makes us more like Christ. It grows us. The third one, and i got to look at my notes because I kind of forgot this. Let's see here. Ask God. How many know that when you are supposed to find joy in the trials and the tribulations and things aren't going according to your unrealistic expectations in life, we need wisdom. We don't know how to do it. And I said a couple weeks ago that the best phrase of the sinner's prayer is, help, help. God answers to that. That's when Peter was, was sinking in the waters. All he said is, Lord, save me. He didn't say, God, I ask you to come into my life, ask you to forgive my sins, and, da, 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 and all that is good. But he said, help, in the desperate state of where he was. And so we need to ask God, but we need to ask God in faith, knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never leave us alone. But in his perfect timing and his perfect ways, he will always answer us. James 4, we're going to cover in two weeks, says you have not because you ask not. So our loving heavenly father is pleading with us to ask him for what we need for life and godliness. In 1 Peter, it says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So we ask and we shift our perspective. We look at the valleys very differently. And then we ask God for wisdom, believing that he will answer. And then finally, we become doers rather than just hearers of the word. I believe that this kind of message is going to be a message that the Lord is stirring in our hearts all throughout 2020. He wants us to grow in the kingdom of God so that each and every one of us, those who I can see and those who are in the shadows over here and over here and those on live stream, he wants us to grow our spiritual root systems, both deep and both wide. Why? Is because then when storms come, then when the enemy attacks, which he will attack if he's not already, we will have a spiritual root system so deep, so strong, that we're going to be able to waver any storm. And that is all about obedience. We don't like to talk about obedience in the church, but do you know that faith is all about obedience? And so we need to become not just Christians with a name tag, but we need to become doers of what God calls us. Amen? Amen. And so that leads us into James chapter 2. James chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, we're going to stay for the most part in James chapter 2. There are Bibles in front of you, and actually I, I turned there for you. It's actually page 586 in the Bibles in front of you. Page 586, we'll have it um, on the screen as well for you. But I want us to take this seriously for our own faith. And we're not going to read the first part, but the first part, let me, let me just go back for a minute. James was not written in chapters, by the way. It is a full-length letter to the church, Okay. So it wasn't chapter one, chapter two. This all flows together, but I think it's going to help us compartmentalize and see the threads of, of the themes 
throughout James. So James 2 flows out of James 1, and it's talking about hearers and doers of the word. And James 2 starts out with, why are you showing partiality and favor to the church? Why, why are you doing that? Because if you're hearers and doers of the word, then no matter what people come into your church, no matter their background, no matter their sin life, no matter their beliefs, no matter their doctrines, no matter their looks and styles and wealth and status, you're to love them as Christ loves you. That goes back to being hearers and doers of the word. And so before we read James 2, which is also a very controversial chapter, and you're gonna see in a minute, so much so that you remember Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but the, 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 the theologian and, and, and apostle of the, uh, the Lutheran church movement, he was so convinced that this was so controversial that James didn't belong in the Bible. And so we need to really understand what James is really saying here in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do before we start James 2, keep your fingers there in the Bible where you are, is I would like for us to go to Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 23. Many of you remember this, have this maybe memorized from a kid but I want us to see it with fresh eyes. So what am I doing before we enter into James 2? I am really trying to build a canopy that will, will kind of oversee and kind of just kind of be a banner, a framework over James 2 so you don't think, where is Phil going? Is he really understanding the word? Because I want to challenge you today to think. I want you not to just say, well, this is what I remember, this is what I was taught, this is what commentary says, this is what this doctrine says. I want you to challenge what you believe God is saying in James. So here's Romans 3, 23. I would like for you to read out loud the things in yellow, okay? For everyone has sinned. You, 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 and oh yeah, me. All of us are stained with sin. For all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God, in his grace, what is his grace? Unmerited favor. What that means? This is really encouraging. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's grace. It's unmerited favor. So let me start again so you guys don't panic of entering in here. Yet, God, in his grace, freely makes us right. Wow, you sound good in his sight. Makes us right. Do you know a Greek word for makes us right? Justified. Justification is all about being made right in the presence of a holy, perfect God. He did this through Jesus Christ. It does not say he did this through your works. He did this through your talent. He did this through your good looks. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for that. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. There cannot be forgiveness of sin without a sacrifice of shed blood. That's why in the Old Testament they go through all the sacrificial system. Now Jesus came, brought the old law to the cross, crucified it, brought the new law called grace, and shed his blood over it. That, my friends, is grace. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Ready? People are made right with God. Say it with me, justified. Ready? Justified. When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his blood, shed his blood. So, keep that as framework as we enter into sometimes a controversial, sometimes an overlooked, and sometimes a misinterpreted passage in James. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, would you teach us? Holy Spirit, take the words of my heart, the words of my mouth, make it yours. I pray that it would be for the benefit, the building up of all of us as we grow more like you, Jesus. Wake us up today, God. Wake us up. We need you, Holy Spirit. We acknowledge you as the presence of God. We need you. We are desperate without you, lost without you. Come, let the scales over our eyes fall. 
Let us see your word for what it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you've been seated for a while, so I would like to, for this passage, I would like for all of us to stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to read from James 2, starting with verse 34. Just follow along with me, and let's read it together. We're going to be in the ESV, by the way, English Standard Version. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Stop there. Remember the gospel message that we just read. It's not by works. So this is why confusion begins to brew. Okay? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What James is not saying here is that you're not a Christian necessarily if you don't have works. Dead does not mean not in the faith. Dead means dormant or inactive. Some of you are in seasons where you're like, like, like in uh, what you do with photos in a, in a dark room, right? Some of you are in a dark room. Some of you are in the heat process where you're being refined, and you don't have external works right now because you're working on the internal works. And so to other people, you look dead spiritually. But what he's saying, it's just, it's, it's inactive right now. And a lot of times in that purpose, it's for a good thing because once the internal refinement starts, then the fruit begins to show itself externally. Some of you are just in a place where you have not prioritized Christ in your hearts. And so life happens and fruit, spiritual fruit becomes dormant. And James here is saying we need we really need to take this seriously. And so just because he says your faith is dead doesn't mean that you're outside of the faith. He's just saying it's active. Now, sometimes that is true. And we have to go to the heart of the matter and say, have we really been born again? Have we really died to our sinful self and raised again with Christ? We gotta ask that. And so he says, your works is dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. He's saying, okay, you believe you're a Christian. You believe in the gospel message. Well, that's well. Even the demons believe and tremble and shudder. Do you want to be shown, your foolish, you foolish person, the faith apart from your works is useless? Was not Abraham our father of the faith justified? There's that word. What does justified mean? It means made right with God. finding my place again. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What? We'll get there. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute. What? Justified? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. What kind of doctrine is this? And in the same way was not also Rahab, a harlot, justified, made right with God by her works when she received the messengers and set them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dormant, inactive, and dead. With that encouraging word, would you be seated? Whoo! Where do we go from here, Lord? This really has challenged my 30 years of being a Christian. I have processed this probably more than I have usually when preparing a message because I want to bring to you something that is not just what we thought we knew or something that we've been taught or even maybe is truth and it's good, but we haven't challenged our hearts to really receive from the word of God. And so 
I want to challenge us this morning. I really do. I want you to be a little uncomfortable in processing what it is you believe. And if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior and you proclaim to be a Christian, I really want to sit you on a potter's wheel today. And I want God's word to mold you, to get those impurities, to get those maybe false interpretations of the Bible, maybe some apathy, maybe some confusion, and maybe even some idols that we have made God. And God really wants us to get to the heart of what it means to be a child of God, a follower of Christ Jesus. So the most popular Christian view of this specific passage is this, that once you are saved by grace, a Christian will begin to produce spiritual fruit that proves that that salvation is genuine. And just like Jesus said, you will know the tree by its fruit, right? That's not a wrong truth. That's not a lie. That's actually good Christian truth. That when a tree is firmly planted and it is in the right soil and it's going deep down into the ground and it's getting the right nourishment, it's going to grow and produce fruit, right? But this is not what James is saying. James is not talking about a Christian life that produces fruit that affirms your salvation. I mean, just look at the word. Yes, he talks about action. He talks about helping the poor when you say you believe. But he's talking about something that happens within a person when they become saved that he calls works. And so what I want us to understand is we have to come to grips on two things if we are going to address James 2 because we cannot get away from it other than just overlooking it, saying, yeah, that's a great Christian belief. You know what? If we're in the faith, we're going to produce works when we're not even producing works ourselves, right? And let's just move on to James 3. We're not going to do that today. Because I believe that James is not contradicting Scripture, because if he was, it wouldn't be in Scripture. So we need to come to grips of two things, and the first one is harder than the second one. The first one is this. Is James really saying that a Christian is justified by not faith alone, but by works. Is he saying that? Yes, he is saying that. Three times, actually. It's on the page. Look at it. Look at your own Bibles. He says it justified by faith. What is he saying? Is he contradicting Paul? What is going on here? But we have to say, verse 21, verse 24, verse 25, and we're going to look at it in a minute under a microscope. It's there on the page for a reason. James is not contradicting Paul. I say it again. I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but I want you to understand that this is not a contradiction. Nor is he rejecting or contradicting God. Rather, James is sounding a huge alarm to Christians of his day and today who are calling themselves Christians yet showing nothing for the life change that they are proclaiming. That's really important. He's not talking about works of a Christian faith. He's talking about some sort of a mixture of works that have a part to play in confirming our salvation. Now remember, by grace alone you've been saved. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's only by Jesus. But we need to look at what James is saying. So number one, if it is true that he is saying that we are justified not by faith alone, but something else, which he does three times, then we have to come to grips with the second thing, is this. 
then the key to understand what exactly James is meaning so that we don't throw stuff at Pastor Phil and call him a blasphemer, right, is we need to understand what James means by the word works. That, he says, by which we are justified or made right with God. This is really important, and so don't tune me out. Challenge what you've been taught. Challenge what you think you know. And we're going to see what James is trying to say. So we need to understand what exactly James means by works. Does he mean it's the kind of works that show our religious affiliation to a church? No. Is it the acts of kindness and taking care of those in need? Yes, but not what James is referring to here in Scripture. Is it a lifetime of Christian works that builds a legacy of the kingdom of God in your life, in your family's life? Yes, but it's not what James is referring to. It's actually a byproduct of what James is talking about. So what kind of concoction of works is James talking about here? I mean, isn't this important? This is why churches divide. This is why theologians are on one side or the other. And so I want us to understand the three times where he says that we are justified not by faith alone, but by works. We need to understand what James is saying. So let's look at those three times it's mentioned. The first time is in verse 21. Verse 21. I just want to make sure I didn't leave the definition out. No, it's coming later. Just wanted to double check. Abraham, verse 21. This decision of obedience made declared, made by Abraham, declared Abraham justified. Was not Abraham our father made right in God's sight when he offered, offered, he gave his son, which, by the way, in Jew Jewish culture, your firstborn son is everything. Your firstborn son is your legacy. It is sacred. That's why they would sacrifice a lot of their daughters that were born before their sons. It's because they wanted their son to be firstborn. Okay? Firstborn son, he offered on the altar. And because of this decision, which by the way, how many times did he do this? You can shout it out. How many times did he offer Isaac on the altar? Once. And he was justified with God. Once. Number two, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Number two. Yeah, there is an action or a decision or a response that leads to being made right to God. Number three, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers of God and sent them out by another way? And before she sent them out, she hid them from her own people, the Canaanites, and all the other ites that were against the Lord. <laughs> Rahab wasn't right with God necessarily by her life, was she? She wasn't making the decisions to show obedience to God, but when God showed up, she obeyed. She made a decision. She responded in a way that says this woman was justified by God. There was a decision that she had to make. How many times did Rahab let the messengers in? Once. Not over a lifetime. Not accumulation of opening the door, open the door shut and keeping more messengers coming. It was one time. So I want, before you tune me out, some of you already have a, a refute going, right? It's okay. It's okay. And you know what? We may not agree on everything and that's okay. Okay? Important clarification. I want us to clarify something. 
James is challenging us to look so much deeper than what believers of his time and our time is doing. Hey, I'm Christian. Man, I love this worship service, and I, yeah, I accepted Jesus. I was baptized. Woohoo! Yay me! And then we go back and show that there was absolutely no heart shift in perspective. That's what James is addressing here. So James is saying three things. I believe I have a slide for it. He's saying, number one, it's not merely doctrinal. It's not a doctrinal belief system kind of faith. Hear me. Because if you want a wake-up call, it's right here. He says, even the demons believe and have a doctrinal faith. The demons. Are they Christians? No. (laughs) Have they accepted Jesus' forgiveness? No. Do they believe in the power of the name of Jesus? Yeah, they were there when the cross shed his blood for him. And they were there when the tomb began to shake and his body came back to life. They saw the gospel message with their own eyes. And yet they have failed to surrender to the truth. But they believe it. They believe it. But their works are dormant. It shows that there is no reception of the gospel that they believe. So it's not a doctrinal belief kind of thing. Number two, it's not a religious activity kind of works that'll make us justified with God. It's not just because we go to church and just because we give our tithe and we served at night to shine and we went to the women's conference and man, everything that ECC does, we are on board. It's not that at all. That's icing on a cake. Third, it's not saying that we're saved by an accumulation of spiritual fruits or works. That's just a clarification of what James is not saying. He's he's saying it's not doctrinal belief. He's saying it's not just a religious activity. And he's saying it's not just an accumulation of good works that prove that your tree is planted in God's word. So, James, okay, so, brother, all right, apostle, okay, holy man, half bro, ham to Jesus, James, what do you have to say to apostle Paul's gospel message? Because what you're saying does not sound like grace. And I believe if we understand this beautiful context of these words of James, if I'm even bold enough to enter into James' sandals and to speak for what I believe James would say to Paul, he would say this. Let's look at the scriptures that Paul wrote. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Brother Paul This is spoken by the Holy Spirit, and you are right. For by grace you have been saved through faith. What does that mean? Through our belief in Christ. By grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. James is saying, amen. Amen. What? He's saying amen, but he says you're justified by works. He's not talking about the works of the law. Not a result of the work so that no one would boast. Brother Paul, I couldn't have written it better in Romans 3, verse 20. For by the works of the law, 611 of them to be exact, is not justified by works. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight of God. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And James is saying, I couldn't say this better. Amen, brother. Amen. Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed. There's that word believed. Even the demons believe. Right? We believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified in faith, by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Sure sounds like James is contradicting Paul, but he's not. 
James' definition of works in this passage is going to make it very clear for what James is saying. And it's this. And these are my words, not James. I'm just trying to give the best guidance to what James is saying here. I believe that James' definition of the works is an action, an action or a response. (laughs) Go back. Thank you, hon. Love you. An action or response to the gospel of grace. That's what James is saying. Listen, Listen up here. Listen here. Listen here. James is saying that works in this passage is an action, a response, or a decision to the gospel of grace, which is bought only by our Savior Jesus. But what he's saying is a decision has to be made. A response to the gospel that saves you has to be made. Stop fooling yourself and just putting a Christian name tag. Something has to be birthed inside of you. So what is James saying is required here? Well, let's look through the rest of the Bible to find a definition of what James is saying. No, it's in chapter 2. He doesn't send you on a scavenger hunt. It's in chapter 2. He gives us three examples, technically two, but he gives us three things of how we're justified by works. So let's look at these examples and start to understand that what does this response or decision look like in receiving salvation through grace by Jesus Christ. Number one, we're going to go quick. Letting go in order to receive what is being offered. Abraham laid Isaac on the altar. He had to let go of something so sacred, so precious, in order to receive what God had for him. Very important. Don't, don't, don't let this go by. Salvation is spelled D-O-N-E, not D-O. Salvation is done. Salvation through Christ Jesus is paid for. It is free. It is free. It's already bought with his blood. But in order to receive this gift, I need to let go of what I'm holding on to. What are we holding on to? Our sin, our dead, stained self that cannot receive God's justification or being made right with God unless we lay it down. How many of you know that if you came up here right now and you gave me a precious gift, As long as my fists are clenched, there is no way I'm going to be able to grab it and receive it and take hold of it. When you come to the grace message of Jesus Christ and the penalty that he paid for the forgiveness of your sins to justify you in the presence of God, we so often come to him with clenched fists. We don't want to let go of what is ours. We don't want to let go of the patterns of this world that make us feel good. We don't want to let go of the old theology that we thought we knew that it's just what we were taught. We don't want to let it go, but in order to receive what God is offering, you have to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Brought it back, brother. We have to let go of what we're holding on to. What are you holding on to? If you haven't received Christ, you're holding on to your old man or your old woman. Stained in sin, we will never be able to be justified in God in our old self. That's why Jesus shed his blood. He came to bring us a newness of life. But in order to accept the new life that Christ gives, we need to let go of the old life that we're trying to live. This is where Jesus says, deny yourself. If you want to follow me and you want to be a Christian, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. You have to let go of your old ways, your old addictions, your fears, your old stained identity to pick up the newness of Christ and who he calls you victorious. That's why he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you have to pick it up. And in order to pick it up, you got to let it go. 
Number two is when Abraham offered a life to God before he impaled that knife through his firstborn son's chest. God stopped him and said, Abraham, you are justified because you obeyed me and trusted me. In order to receive Christ's new life, we must offer our very own lives and that which is so sacred to us, including our elder, our, our, our idols, not elders. That's a whole different message. We need to sacrifice our elders, that's for sure. <laughs> Love you guys, by the way. Thank goodness we're not meeting for a couple weeks. The idols in our lives. Look in the mirror. We all have different idols that we cling to. These are sometimes our Isaacs that we hold on to that God is saying, offer them to me. We hold our lives as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are no longer, listen, we are no longer slaves to sin or fear because of Christ. But now we offer our lives as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Abraham didn't hear the word of God and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then not offer Isaac on the altar. But what do we do? I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe I can fly. No, I believe, I believe, I believe. Here's my Christian name tag. And yet, when God calls us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, Romans 12 we shy away and go back to the old ways of life. Abraham stepped out in faith, his belief in God, and he walked in obedience, works, a decision, a response. He walked in obedience and offering his son as a living sacrifice to God. He did that one time and he was declared righteous. So is God saying through the book of James that all we have to do is some response or decision to the gospel of Jesus one time and we are justified in God? That's exactly what James is saying. So letting go in order to receive what is offered and offering a life to God in obedience of faith the works that James is talking about is, is a decision of a response which equals, I don't do math, but I think a decision and a response to God equals obedience. We have a lot of Christians in this world that have the name tag of Christianity, but they are not obeying God. You know what the first step of obedience when you come to faith of Christ? Get baptized. Why? Because it says that for by grace I have been saved, and it's not by my own works, but I am choosing the works of salvation by responding and deciding to be obedient to Jesus Christ. That's what is going on. What does Rahab the prostitute have anything to do with what's required for salvation? Why would God even add that in there? I believe God's pretty sovereign and humorous, and he's trying to wake us up to say, hey, I died for the prostitutes. I died for those who you judge. I died for those who you push out of the church. I died for those who don't agree with you. I died for those who don't have the politics and the agreement that you have. God's not Republican. God's not Democrat. God's God. And we're not to bow to any other political system. Now, I am not shaming that we're all supposed to vote in November. But God, if we believe God's kingdom will come, and we believe God is sovereign and not God is in control, then our faith is not dictated by who gets elected. Our faith is in Christ alone. But we have to be obedient. So let's look at Rahab. God loves every single person that he created. He loves us so much that when we slam the door of our hearts to God, that he didn't give in to us. He didn't give up on us and throw us into hell, throw away the key. No, he sent his son to pay the penalty to go get the key. Hello? 
He loves us so much that he sent Christ. But when Christ stands at the door of our hearts, the works of faith have to come into play by a decision or a response. What does this look like? It looks like Revelations 3, verse 20. Jesus says to you and to me, behold, I stand at the door of your heart. And knock. I will never force myself in. That's not a God of love. I stand. I'm not going anywhere right now. But I stand here and knock. If you will open the door of your heart to me, I will come in. Not only will I save you, but I will be with you till the ends of the earth. Not only will I save you and be with you, I want to be your friend I want to be that confident when you that confidant that when you feel like giving in and you're hanging by a thread, I want to be there with you. And when I want to walk with you, and when you can't walk anymore, I want to be the one who carries you. That's what Jesus is doing. But we can say we believe and have Christian faith all we want, but if we don't open to the door of our hearts, our faith is dead. In closing, as we wrap up James 2, this is what James is saying in his day. And I believe it translates to 2020. James is so frustrated. He's pulling his hair out if he had hair. I don't know if he does or not. But he is so stressed out. Why? Because there is church going on. Church people are being saved. And Christ is being glorified. And the Holy Spirit has come down because Christ had gone up. And miracles are happening, and their church is advancing, and people are coming into the faith. And all these Jews are becoming Christians, along with the brother James. And James is saying, okay, great, you believe, but you're going back to your church, to your synagogue, and you're adapting to your old ways again, your religious law. You're going back and being justified something other than Christ. Stop it. What is going on? I thought you said you believed in Jesus, but you're acting in a way that puts Jesus to shame. And I believe in this day he would say, stop living a fast food Christianity. We drive through, we get the faith, we go to church, praise Jesus, and then we go back to our old ways, stuck in anger, stuck in lust, stuck in prejudice, stuck in racism, stuck in you fill in the blank. And James is saying something has to happen. He's calling us to take seriously our part in responding to Jesus. Jesus saves and it's free, but what are we going to do with it? That's the works he's talking about. And so as the band comes up, I want to end on a really encouraging note because many of you are on the edge of your seat wondering, what do I do now? This is what James is trying to get through. If we begin to let go of the sin that entangles us, the sin that pulls us down, the sin that blocks God's amazing power to work in our lives, if we let go of that at the cross of Jesus, we're able to pick up the salvation that comes only through grace by Jesus. And when we do that, then we're able to offer our lives as living sacrifices to offer the lives, the things that are most precious to us, we give them back to God in trusting that he is faithful. So now not only are we believing like the demons, but now we are taking a whole new faith. We are living in the newness of our life by offering ourselves to God. And then lastly, we invite Christ into the core of who we are, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our emotions, in our body, in our soul, in our spirit. And when that happens, when we let go and we let God, and we offer our lives to God as pleasing, offering, sacrificial, offering to God, and we invite Christ to have every 
every area of our lives and to be in control of our lives. We are born again into a newness of life. Jesus' blood saves us, washes us clean, and the Holy Spirit takes residence. Then guess what happens, my friends? Guess what happens? Joy. Joy. The works of the fruit of the Spirit, the works that James is talking about, the, the other things, the works, the Christian fruit, the spiritual fruit just oozes out of you. There are so many in here, honestly, that when I'm with you, I am so much better and I'm drawn closer to God because the fruits of the Spirit work and ooze out of you. But why? It's because you chose to respond. You made a decision to Jesus Christ. To not just put a Christian name tag on, to not just wear a hat that says, I love Jesus, or a bumper sticker, or you, you post on Facebook a scripture every day. It's all about your response to Jesus. And by the way, this is the sinner's prayer. This is how you receive salvation. It's our application. Our application. And it goes like this, follow me. All of you, I want all of us to follow. We let go in order to receive what is being offered. Would you just close your eyes in prayer? Just heads bowed everywhere. We let go, and so what I want you to do is I want you to say, repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for dying my death. I let go of my sin and I receive your forgiveness. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I now take your forgiveness. Let it cleanse me. That's letting go. And now we offer our lives, our imperfect lives for God's use. So we say, God, Use me, mold me, conform me to your image. I give my life to you as a sacrifice. And then finally we say, Jesus, I am yours. Come in and take over. May your love cast out all fear. Jesus, do what only you can do. And now we respond in worship because you alone are worthy of it. Do something new in us today. Make us new wine. Make us new wine, God. This newness through our decision and our response to receiving what only you can give. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand? Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our weekly podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.